This is 8 Minutes, a podcast helping you understand the energy transition in just a few minutes. I'm your host, Paul Schuster. Today, we're tackling the controversial subject of carbon offsets. You may be familiar with a version of these as when you book a flight, you decide to offset your travel emissions through a service such as TerraPass or CarbonFund. Pay a bit extra on your ticket, and you get the peace of mind knowing that your travel isn't contributing to any further warming of the climate. Or is it? What exactly are you purchasing with that offset, and how reliable is it in offsetting any real emissions? Scale this question up to that of a big corporation looking to reduce its footprint. Are offsets the best way to go, or is this just a way to greenwash activities and claim success without actually doing anything? We'll dive into it and see what we can uncover. Eight minutes. It's how long it takes the sun's rays to reach Earth, or about how long it would take for an average long-haul flight to throw over 36 pounds of carbon into the air. That's a full ton of carbon if you're taking the red eye from New York to London. Let's get it on. There is no doubt that any net zero future is going to involve carbon offsets. There's simply too much that we rely upon as a society that will continue to emit carbon into the atmosphere. Take concrete, for instance, where the physical property of converting limestone to concrete releases carbon. We can't change physics, but we can incentivize projects to grab that emitted carbon and store it away so it won't continue to warm the planet. Enter carbon offsets, a theoretically awesome little way for individuals and companies to contribute financially to projects that reduce or remove carbon from our atmosphere and net out their own carbon footprint. Let's tackle the topic of offsets in a couple of different ways, and I'm going to do it a bit backwards, so bear with me. I want to start by discussing the types of markets that exist for these offsets first, and then dive into what types of projects these offsets usually develop, and why some of those may or may not be of high quality. So let's start with carbon markets, of which there are two kinds, compliance markets and voluntary markets. Those offsets you're buying for your flight, those are part of what we call voluntary offsets, as you're not required to buy those at all. The most recent data I could find suggests, though, that the voluntary market isn't super big. Refinitiv estimates that it's about $1 billion globally at the end of 2021. Perhaps somewhat surprisingly is that the compliance market is much, much bigger. Refinitiv places that market at around $850 billion. The vast majority of that is actually over in Europe where the continent's EU ETS compliance market accounts for $760 billion in turnover. Europe is far out in front of this topic, having enacted their comprehensive trading market back in 2005 to cover the most heavily polluting industries. Today, it covers roughly 40% of the EU's greenhouse gas emissions. Compliance markets, perhaps obviously, operate differently than voluntary markets. In compliance markets, a regulatory body establishes a set amount of emissions that industries or participants are allowed to produce, and they then issue carbon credits to ensure compliance. If you want to produce more emissions, you got to purchase more credits. And because there's only a set number of credits to begin with, it starts to get pricey. That's the basis for the cap and trade structures that you may have heard debated in Congress every so often. And it's what underpines the two big carbon compliance markets here in the States, California's emission trading system, and the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative in New England. But credits are different than offsets. Credits are compliance markets. Offsets are voluntary. And credits are basically permitted emissions 
while offsets represent removal of emissions. Got it? So let's narrow down on offsets in particular and talk about why it's been so difficult to grow this voluntary market, which means now I can start to talk about what an offset really represents. As I mentioned before, it's not a credit to or a waiver to produce any carbon. It does represent an investment into some project that reduces or sequesters carbon, taking it out of the atmosphere. And there are lots of different ways that that can happen. The most straightforward is planting trees. Photosynthesis is a remarkably efficient and cheap way to remove CO2. In fact, any project that creates new biologic activity to remove carbon could possibly be considered as a source of offsets. But we would need a lot of trees to get to net zero. So there are mechanical ways to capture CO2 as well. Carbon capture and storage, whether at the source of the emissions, such as at an industrial stack, or through direct air capture, where the machine basically just takes carbon out of the ambient surrounding air, grabs the carbon from the air, and creates a carbon stream that can then be locked away, probably under the earth in a mineral sink. There are lots of different ways to reduce carbon. Trees, algae, soil-based offsets, direct air capture, point capture, and that's where the complexity comes in. Not all projects are the same, which means not all offsets are the same. For instance, even in forestry, offsets could be developed for everything from planting new trees to avoiding deforestation of a certain tract of land through to improved forestry management of a given area. Are all those the same? How should we think about that? No two offsets are going to look alike which means that the dream of establishing a market where offsets can be bought and sold as commodities, well, that's unlikely until we get everything to at least look more similar to each other than they do today. And that variety of options creates other issues around quality of offsets. And this is where the conversation takes a turn towards a pessimism. Too many of these carbon offsets are such poor quality that they shouldn't count at all. In 2017, an EU report found that 85% of offsets failed to do anything. More recently, the former head of Australia's Emissions Reduction Assurance Commission estimated last year that 70-80% to 80 of the country's offsets were deemed low quality. This is absolutely the biggest reason companies get tagged with greenwashing, when they're investing in offsets that are essentially worthless. So, if we still believe that we can't reach net zero unless we have some form of vibrant offset market, what needs to happen to polish these offsets and get them to a higher quality? The answer is fivefold. And while not every good offset is going to hit all of these, the best offsets are going to hit more rather than fewer. One, additionality, where the project needs to be something that would not have been done otherwise had the money from the offset not appeared. Two, permanence, where the project is going to last and be resilient in the face of outside forces. A grove of trees is great, but if a forest fire hits them, all of that carbon goes right back up into the atmosphere. Three, avoid overestimating. Accounting and validating the carbon removed has to be based on scientific consensus. Four, avoid double counting, where one certificate represents one ton and the same project isn't used by multiple parties to claim benefits. And lastly, ensure that the carbon project isn't being accomplished at the cost of other societal or environmental concerns. Carbon offsets must be a key component in the fight against climate change. 
But despite decades of working towards a clean, reliable, consistent measurement, lots of work still needs to be done. Is it hopeless? Hardly. And this is where the perfect being the enemy of good paradigm comes in. Carbon markets may not be an easy, simple solution yet, but they're still better than many other options that we have. And the more we scrutinize the product, the better we'll get at driving towards high quality offsets. I'm Paul Schuster, and this has been your 8 Minutes. Thank you.